Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. You're welcome along to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact regarding last week's programme on the purpose and future of local elections and where to next for local authority councillors. You can still listen back to the podcast on Newstalk.com or search on iTunes. And as always, you can get in contact with us today by emailing between the lines at Newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, coming up today, we'll be discussing the insurance sector in Ireland. We'll be asking whether the so-called compo culture is actually closing businesses. To discuss our panel today, we're joined in studio by former president of the Law Society, Stuart Cahooley. We're also joined by the director of the Alliance for Insurance Reform, Peter Boland, and Declan Jackson, director of government affairs at Insurance Ireland as well. My thanks to you all for joining us today. Um, Just first of all, perhaps for the benefit of listeners, just can I get you all maybe just to outline briefly what it is that you do and your connection with the insurance industry and maybe just starting with, with yourself Stuart Yeah well I'm a, I'm a practicing solicitor in the personal injuries area so um, I'm, I'm involved day to day I act for plaintiffs pretty much exclusively um, I, um, I, I I suppose I've been doing it for the last 25 years I've a lot of experience in dealing with uh, victims of personal injury and I can tell you quite a lot about them Good stuff um, for yourself, Peter, as well. Okay, so I'm a small businessman based in Galway, uh, but in a previous life, I was involved in the original Alliance for Insurance Reform in 2002, 2003, uh, when I was marketing director for Supermax. And this time around, as the crisis worsened around 2000 and end of 2007, I was asked to, to get involved again, and that's why I'm here. Okay, and for yourself as well, Declan. Yeah, I work for Insurance Ireland. We're the trade association for the insurance industry here in Ireland and our members make up both the domestic insurers, uh, life, general insurers, uh, non-life pension providers and also international and health insurers. So right the way across the gambit for for the insurance sector here in Ireland. So sort of representing the, I don't want to say representing the insurance industry as such, but would that be a fair connection? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. very much so. We're the trade association, so very similar to to, to other trade bodies. Okay, just kind of for listeners as well, to kind of set the scene perhaps, Stuart, as to what's happening in Ireland at the moment. um, There's been quite a lot of discussion in terms of increases in insurance claims, uh, premiums, all of that kind of thing, I suppose particularly in, in, in recent months but just kind of set the scene for us here today Well I think there's been, uh, there's been a huge amount of talk I've been involved in this now in terms of the political end of things probably for the last three or four years I, I was president of the Law Society in 2016-17 when I suppose this, this crisis really took off and there's, uh, we've seen insurance premiums increase hugely I think Largely, I think, from a period of 2015 to 2017 were the main increases. Uh, And I think a lot of pressure then came on insurers as to why that occurred. And then, uh, as tends to happen uh, when insurance premiums go up, um, the insurance industry tends to blame uh, the legal profession and the courts for that. So uh, we, uh, there's been a lot of political uh, interest in it. The Oireachtas of... The Rockers Committee and Finance has looked at this very closely and the, of course the Cost of Insurance Working Group was set up shortly afterwards and it has continued its work over the course of the last two or three years. Uh, there has been a number of recommendations made uh, by government, some of which have been carried through, others which have not been carried through and uh, it culminated I suppose to a large degree with uh, the Personal Injuries Commission being set up um, in the, at the end of 2017. Mm. Uh, I sat on that. Uh, it made its report in the middle of last year 
and those recommendations have recommended that there would be a judicial council set up to have a look at uh, producing guidelines in respect of uh, damages for personal injuries. But uh, I think it's it's in respect probably of the uh, the 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 other issues in relation to the insurance industry. I think matters of uh, production of data, which have not yet been uh, not yet been uh, produced, um, and other aspects of the of the, of the report of the cost of insurance group, working group, which have been I think there have probably been some very unsatisfactory responses to that from the insurance industry. So um, the there continues to be a lot of focus on it. Mm. Um, I think I I'm, certainly it's my it's my view that uh, the focus on damages in particular is particularly unfair. It, there is a, a belief, and I believe in her own is belief, that uh, reducing damages will uh, also reduce insurance premiums. My, it's my belief that reducing damages will, in fact, only have the effect of uh, taking money out of the pockets of genuine uh, injury victims and putting it in the pockets of insurance, uh, insurance uh, companies' uh, shareholders. Uh, in circumstances where they're already making very large profits. Okay, can I bring you perhaps in, Declan, on that? Just there's quite a lot of nuts and bolts that we can we can go through over the sure. course of today's program. But but just in terms of some of the main points they're raised by Stuart. Yeah, thanks, um, uh, Andrea. I appreciate the opportunity. I suppose um, our view is that we in Ireland we have a claim system that hasn't had meaningful reform for probably about fifteen years. Probably when Peter and his group were active, we had the last major reform of how claims are assessed, how they're paid and how they're settled. And it was quite interesting at that time because you had the establishment of the Personal Injuries Assessment Board. And what actually happened was it worked. For about 10 years, there was no discussion in relation to insurance costs or what impact they were having on business models. And like any system, I think, it hasn't been, it hasn't had meaningful reform and we started to see the cracks uh, appear around 2012, 2013 in relation to inflation coming in to claims costs and, and uh, that feeding through uh, to what actually customers were faced with, with, with paying. And we've been advocating and I, I, I think it's actually great to have Peter and Stuart here today talking about the work that they have been done they've been doing for the last three or four years in relation to this space. But I'd maybe like to go back to September 2015, which is when we produced our first set of reforms, because we saw around that 2012-2013 period um, spikes starting to occur. We realised that the system had learned. Those people who were acting in the claim system had learned how to actually uh, interact with it for, for, for their benefit, as they should. And that's fine. That's what happens in any claim system. But we we put forward a set of proposals which are necessary for reform. And we still think that they are there. And central to those is reform of our claims costs. We're massively, massively out of kilter. And actually, the good work that Stuart and his colleagues did on the PIC actually showed that. I think it's interesting, you know, we, we, we get the kind of hardy annual about insurance companies not producing data, but every scintilla of data that the PIC used was produced by my association. It was all paid claims. It was all in, independently verified. And what it showed was that we were between four and a half and five times more expensive than the UK. But the more insidious thing, so I go back to the system needs reform. The more insidious element for us is that every year the nature of the claims they looked at were increasing by 900 euros. So every year we don't reform, 900 euros. 
more expensive. And that's independently verified data supplied by us and signed off by Stuart and his colleagues, which show that. Okay, they're, they're pretty startling figures, Peter Boland. Well, I just want to put a bit of context in all of this, first of all, Andrea. Um, the first thing to say um, is that um, insurance is supposed to be a service in the same way as the water supply mm. or the guy who collects your bins is a service. So we get a service, we pay for it and we move on. And it's it's critical to note that insurance has become so important uh, that most societies can't function without it nowadays. So that's how vital it is. Uh, however, um, we're in the middle of a crisis on this, which is appreciably worse than the last crisis in 2002, 2003. And we have a fairly solid context on that. Uh, and I'll give you a couple of reasons uh, for that in a minute. But uh, what I would, in fact, I'll give you a couple of reasons now. Mm. Um e- Last time around, it just seemed to affect the margin of businesses. Uh, And there was a severe injustice about some of the claims. But uh, in general, it was a threat to the the viability of businesses. And then it got solved. Uh, This time around, it is far broader. Uh, So it covers businesses. Uh, it covers charities, voluntary groups, community groups, sporting it's organizations. It's everywhere, really, isn't it's it? It's absolutely yeah. prevalent right across the range. But it is not evenly distributed. So um, whilst it's a major issue for larger companies, uh, the critical uh, damage that it's doing is among the little people, and I count myself as one yeah. of those little can, people. Can I just, just for the benefit of, just to kind of give an explainer to people as well, when you're running, whether it be a charity event or a football match or a concert or your your own local business, uh, Peter, as well, you have to have public liability insurance plus what else? Public liability and then employer liability if you're employing somebody to do the work as well. Um, and so that's a very good example. So what we're seeing increasingly now with all the local community groups is we're getting reports from the ground that they are no longer applying for the grant aid that is available uh, to fund events because the cost of the insurance to cover that event is greater than any grant aid that they might get. Okay, so just can I just maybe come to you and I'm going to talk through with Stuart in a few moments, just the, the actual process for people, because I think sometimes and I know from various programmes here when we talk about in, insurance um, cases on the, on, on the shows, sometimes I think there's a lack of understanding for people in terms of, you know, if I fall today and I want to make a claim, who can I go to and what do I do? Or, you know, and if it's a genuine, a genuine situation. Um, so we'll talk through that in a few moments. But just Declan, if I can bring you in just from the insurance perspective, just on some of those points, can you explain for us? Why are would community groups and organisations not draw down this kind of grant aid and assistance because of the other costs that are associated with insurance? Yeah, um, I, I I think in relation to um, probably just the point about about the, the scope and the breadth of of the actual issue at uh, this time uh, as opposed to the last time, I I I would agree with with um, with Peter. I think it is far more. Um, widespread um, uh, uh, and it is because it's far more ingrained it is because we just have too much volatility in how claims are actually settled and where they settle and the time to settle as well um, it's just wrong It's and, and, and I'll be very blunt on this it is just wrong that something like insurance which is a utility cost that's all it is it's a utility cost. You protect yourself against risk. Is actually impacting on community groups. It's causing business models to fail. It's impacting very actively in terms of 
decisions that people make in 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 their daily life. Um, you know, what sort of car they drive, where 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 they can actually mm. conduct um, uh, their day to day business. It's just a utility cost. It shouldn't be doing that. We've been actually running a feature on this in News Talk Breakfast recently. It's actually closing businesses. Oh, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And, and like, a business shouldn't close because of a utility so cost. So how do we change that? Well, you see, we're, we, have, we have two options, OK? And, 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 and it is actually just binary. We can actually bring in the reforms that have worked in the past, or we don't. If we bring in the reforms that have worked in the past, then what we will see is we will see a normalisation and a predictability in relation to claims costs. And that will create the virtuous circle that actually happened the last time we did it, when Mary Harney did it in, um, was it 2003, Peter Poyab was, yeah, um, drafts the nettle, changed how claims costs were actually settled. And um, actually, I don't think anyone suffered. Um, uh, I think... There's a really important thing here as well um, that that we have to be very frank about. Where someone is hurt and they're hurt through no fault of their own, they need to be compensated. We have no problem and no objection in relation to that. I'll go further. Where someone is hurt and there's a question of liability. So you have someone going into a coffee shop, they're not trained on a coffee machine, the coffee machine might misfunction, there might be a structural defect in how the counter was built or whatever. That actually has to go to court, right? So you have to see where and how that can be li- uh, how that can be litigated and who is responsible for that. So no problem in relation to any of that. And I won't accept any criticism that there is we're, we're objecting to that at all. That's the function of insurance. It's there to manage that risk. But what has been happening is, and I go back to, and I know it's a very dry way of talking about it, but it is a way that actually cuts through a lot of the messing. We have a claim system that has not had meaningful reform for 15 okay. years. And until we do that... until we Is, is it as simplistic as that, Stuart Kalili? It's, it's not, and I'll tell you why. Um, what Declan is saying, of course, is, is partially correct. From 2010 to 2015, we saw a large increase in, in premiums. It probably went all the way up to 2016, 2017. But in that period, the Insurance uh, uh, Working Group report of 2018 examined the claims costs increases over that period of time. So from 2010 to 2015, which is the last time we have data from, claims costs went up just 2.7% per year. That's sorry, can I just sorry just yeah, because because um, we'll just and, let him finish the point and I'll come back to you, Declan. Okay, that. but just the, the 2015 figure isn't correct. You signed off in a report which is 15, 16, and 17, all paid claims. Well, I, I'm just referring to the to the, the cost of insurance working group no, report. But, but no, sorry, Stuart, we we just need to be accurate in terms of what we're saying. 2015 is not the last time you've had data. You signed off I on a report. Oh, sorry, no, no, no. There's a no. misunderstanding. Okay, just, just there's one a second. Let's just misunderstanding. Okay, okay. okay. Declan, I'm talking about a completely different report. You're no, no, but you... Sorry. You're talking about there the Personal Injuries Commission report. Yeah, which is all paid claims data. No, no, sorry. Hold okay, on. just one second. Just, yeah. Stuart Galuli, just, give, just there is, finish your I'm point. I'm sorry, Declan has misunderstood my point. My point is I'm talking about the Cost of Insurance Working Group report, which was working off central bank data. I'm not referring to insurance company data at all. The insurance, the central bank reports, sorry, the central bank data, which the last time the blue book was produced was 2015. From 2010 to 2015, 
the cost of insurance working group, which has nothing to do with me, I'm not on that com- the group, produced a report which said that be- between 2010 and 2015, 2.7% per year was the average claims cost. Now, that's barely the rate of inflation, just over it. So to say that claims costs have gone up in that period is quite simply wrong. It hasn't happened. Claims costs have not increased. Sorry, you can't, you can't, you're picking one figure, which you say is the last time we've claims data. That's not correct, Stuart. I didn't say that. I no, said no, actually. Okay, folks, what I want to do for people is I want to just to be able to explain to people today about how their premium that they pay for, whether it be their car insurance, their household insurance, their contents insurance, their business insurance, how that is actually set and how that figure is even arrived at in the first place. Could just explain for us how my car insurance, how that premium is actually set. Well, I think, I, I, I certainly can't explain that because I'm not in, in an insurance company, but what I can only tell you, yeah. uh, I can only tell you what, what happens at my end of things, which is, is a different end. But what I can tell you is that, and again, this is, this is not a report, this is simply a basic fact, is that motor insurance premiums in the UK are higher than they are here. Sorry, Stuart, Stuart, you're absolutely okay. wrong. Second no, 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 and and I don't do it lightly, and I apologise. I, I don't want to. You are doing it lightly. It's the third time. Okay, no, well, just from, yeah, but, from but, Decla- okay, Declan. But we just have from, to be accurate. Just set, well, you're from the insurance industry. Can yeah. you explain to people why, either, whether it be their house, their car, their business, how has that figure arrived? At? Okay, but I just I just want to come back because I think we we need to be accurate and verifiable in terms of what we're saying. So we're talking about motor insurance premiums. And I'm happy to share my sources in relation to this, and you can tweet them and put them up or whatever. But if you look at the ABI, the Association of British Insurers, they collect average car insurance in the UK from memory. I don't have it to, to, to hand. I think it's about £460, but subject to being correct. That's not correct. Uh, uh, sorry, Stuart. You've made an assertion and... and, and you're, you have no sources to I back do, it up. I do. Okay, okay. Well, I do. Uh, I, I'd appreciate what. Martin Canelli, the, U- the UCC economist. Okay. I've seen it. Okay, great. It's, I'd it's, like to see it. Could we, could we have that? I'll yeah. ask Martin to forward it to you, but it's, Perfect. I've seen it. So. so you have the ABI, which is actually used in the inflation index. So it's good enough for the Treasury in the UK, but I, I, I accept it might not be good enough for your purposes. And then you have the AA here, who actually run a cost of insurance and running a car survey. And that'll show you that you're probably, for a mid-range car, about 970, 980 euros. And I'm happy to share those sources. So, you know, we don't say things flippantly. We don't say things without backing them up. I, I, I'm really anxious to see that report because I'd like to I'd like to engage. Okay, I just, I, I just, I suppose, from, from the listener benefit, though, what, what we want to be able to explain to people today is people, I don't really think, have the same interest or grow for the very fine nitty gritty of what we're talking about what people want to know is why is my car insurance gone up 60 quid this year and why is my car why are my contents insurance and why is my business you know as a childcare crash in County Cork having to close because we can't pay our premium just um, Peter Boland give us your your take on this Okay (coughs) two things first of all Andrea I was was just giving you a bit of context earlier on the key bit of context you need to have here is to understand that both Declan and Stuart are two exceptionally professional representatives of the two biggest lobby groups in this area 
they are representing the people who make all of the money out of this catastrophe. And they will fight tooth and nail in order to make sure that that doesn't change. And so if we leave this studio today and nobody's any the wiser, that's a victory on their part because the more confusion there is, the less clarity there is and the less action we get. So that's important to say. Now, in terms of the concentration and the calculation of premiums, there are a couple of elements to it. Uh, The first is that there is a scientific calculation. There are plenty of actuaries in the insurance industry Mm. who will calculate the risk uh, and calculate a premium. Uh, increasingly uh, the feedback we're getting is uh, that whole process is almost secondary to the calculation of premiums at this stage because often it more or less appears to be the ability to bear uh, of the policyholder uh, which comes into play because there is no logic at times to the increases that we're seeing. Uh, and there's a second element to it, and I've mentioned already that it seems to be the little people, the small companies, the medium-sized companies, uh, the voluntary groups, etc., who are getting targeted. There's a sense almost that there's a nuisance value uh, being applied to insurance at this stage because for many of the sectors uh, who are members of the alliance, they can't even get a quote in Ireland anymore and they've had to go they've had to go to the UK we'd love to know because we're in the early days of analysis it 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 suits both these huge groups that there is very little definitive data in this area so they'll pick odd numbers that prove the point but essentially it's very hard to get a a full picture of the industry but uh, we are seeing regularly now within the sectors that we represent that their uh, members are actually profitable. So the amount that they're paying in insurance every year way outweighs the amount that has been paid out in premiums and yet they cannot get a quote in Ireland and they're having to go to the UK. Uh, then they're the subject of one underwriter in many cases and are looking at two, three, four hundred percent increases, which is exactly the process that has put the entire play centre uh, business in jeopardy. And by the way, and I'm not at liberty to, to name other sectors, there are half a dozen other sectors queuing up behind the play centres about to go through the same process. So what we're seeing is the result of about five years of catastrophic increases in insurance costs. Started with motor, has moved on to liability, uh, and that is putting whole sectors within Ireland at risk. Okay. There'll be a general consensus, I suppose, Declan Jackson, and I just know from from looking at messages that come in from members of the public to our programmes, which is usually a fair enough gauge of where public knowledge and understanding is at an issue. And it kind of strikes me as though people think it's a little bit like supply and demand. If there's loads of claims this year, then, you know, people's insurance will just go up. Is it as simple as that? Um, No, it's not, because what what you have to bear in mind is that actually a claim won't settle very quickly. So um, uh, it won't be settled in six, seven months. Uh, You're looking at a number of years uh, for that. So there's a long, what we refer to as a tail effect. So what you're probably seeing um, uh, is you're probably seeing pricing reflecting where the market was about three or four years ago. So we're kind of um, lagging behind. Yeah, yeah. And we will. And this is this is the insidious thing um, uh, in relation to it because we have reform today and systemic legal reform into how, as we did before and it worked. If we do that, it's going to take time to feed through because insurers must be in a position that they can meet their future claims. That's their promise. Um, I just want to maybe just uh, uh, come back to something um, that Peter said there in, st- in, 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 in relation to people being none the wiser or, 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 or clarity and not 
and that being mm. a, a success. And to be honest, that's not where we're at at all, Peter. Um, uh, um, we want reform. We are pushing for reform. We're working white and main. We, 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 we actually don't, I, we don't want to be sitting here in front of, of, of microphones talking about this sort of stuff. We actually want to be going about uh, very important things in relation to Brexit and all that sort of stuff. That's where, that's where we want, that's what adds value and allowing our members to do that. But we have not had meaningful reform. Mm. And We're, so, so, you know, yeah, I, we'll I, talk about I accept the, the frustration. I do the accept thing. the frustration, but I share the frustration. And I, I, can't, I can't be clear in relation to this. Reform worked 15 years ago. You know it worked. And if we do it again... OK, I'll just bring you back in briefly, Peter, because we just have to take a short break, but just on those okay, points. OK, very, very quickly on that. Um, reform didn't work 15 years ago because we all walked away from the scene without transparency in place. And essentially what you have with insurance is you have something which is either legally or morally obligatory in this country. Uh, and yet the government leave us alone in a darkened room with these two lobbies. There is no data available to supervise the sector. So... Uh, Low do I am do I am to suggest that the banking sector is a, a paragon of virtue. If you want data to illustrate a crisis, you'll get it out of the banking sector. But three examples. Um, first of all, the National Claims Information Database, which is finally up and running, uh, and we should have data on motor by the end of this year. We will not have data on liability insurance, which is the where the crisis is right now and is the one that's putting charities out of business. We will have not, not have data on that for the foreseeable future. There is no date, date set on that. Insurance industry fought tooth and nail to try and stop the National Claims Information Database from coming through. The second one is the claim by claim register, which is a very useful way of analysing the way the claims are running. And again, uh, with severe resistance from the insurance industry, that has been shelved. And the third one, <clears throat> if you have uh, a claim against you and you're a small business and you refer it on to your insurer, very often the next thing you'll hear is that it's been settled and that's the reason that your insurance premium has skyrocketed. Again, the insurance industry have fought tooth and nail to avoid a protocol being put in place which would oblige insurers to keep their clients informed. And now the government are having to re uh, resort to legislation in order to put that protocol okay, in place. Okay, I'm going to come back to some of these points in a sure. few moments because I just we do need to actually take a, a very short break. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more on this issue in a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. Today we're discussing the insurance sector in Ireland and we're asking whether the so-called compo culture is actually closing down businesses. Our panel still with us today, Solicitor and former President of the Law Society, Stuart Galuli, the Director of the Alliance for Insurance Reform, Peter Boland, and also Declan Jackson, who's the Director of Government Affairs at Insurance Ireland. My thanks to you all for staying with us today. Um, quite a number of issues that we're, we're going to go back over and particularly in terms of, I'm trying to look forward here today and, and the kind of reforms you'd all like to see implemented. Can I come to you, Stuart Kaluli, just on a very basic level to explain to people. If I go out and have a car accident today and I'm in dispute with the person who I, who I hit into or they hit into me or I leave this building and news talk today and I close the door on my hand and I've yeah. lost my hand, what do I do? Well, the first step, first protocol I'd say we should go to a solicitor. Um, and the reason I say that is because your solicitor will know what, um, what to do in those circumstances. So um, a claim is made uh, initially by way of letter before action to the uh, to the person who you say is responsible for it. 
Uh, the solicitor will then get a medical report uh, from whoever, whatever doctor you've seen, and they will uh, the report will 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 say whether there's an injury related to the accident or not. And at that stage, then the claim is usually either made uh, to the person injury assessment board, where every claim must go, or else a negotiation will take place at an insurance company if they feel as though they want to settle it and the case is in a position to be settled. So every case, first of all, goes to the injuries board. Correct, unless and, it's settled. And and even without liability, it goes. If it's if liability is in dispute, if there's the a, yeah, I was wondering that if there's a dispute there's, there's, over liability, so not everything goes. Well, sorry, I, I was going to get, I was going to get yeah, to that. Go on, sorry, Pat, every case must first go to the person injured assessment board. If, however, there is a dispute over liability, the insurance company may say we don't want the board to deal with it, but you must make an application to them first. So they may decide not to deal with it. But if the board, sorry, the board won't deal with it either. If liability is in dispute, well, no, the board actually will deal with it. The board will in, deal with in liability. Uh, it, in absolutely. Dispute? If no, yeah. if the board, the board will do whatever the insurance company wanted to do. So if the, if liability is in dispute, for instance, so psychological take, illnesses. I don't. I don't think that's correct, Peter. Is it? Stuart, the board or Stuart? Stuart. Sorry. No, well, I do this every day. I can yeah. assure you, it is. I, let me just explain to you yeah. what 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 does Please. happen. Okay. Yeah. Um, every essentially, it's up to the insurance company to decide whether the case goes to the board or not. Now, if liability is in dispute, they may decide that liability is not sufficiently in dispute for it to allow it to go through the board and see what the board does. They often do that. And then they bring liability back in later if the case doesn't settle. Now, what Declan is saying is occasionally the board will decide in some cases that it's not in a position to deal with it, such as purely psychological cases, such as cases in which there's an interaction with other injuries, such as really serious injuries mm. which they can't deal with. But yeah. they will decide it. But in the vast majority of cases... They will deal with them as long as the insurance company or defendant, insured defendant, wants them to deal with them. Now, at that point, there'll be a medical examinations will take place and correspondence will take place with the solicitor for the for the for the the injured victim. And then, assuming the case has gone through the board and mm. hasn't been released, as it were, then a, an assessment will be made. And it's then up to both parties to decide whether they want to accept that assessment or not. So, for instance, you you might get an award of say ten thousand euros, and the question will be whether the claimant and the uh, the uh, the defendant want to accept it. If they both accept it, then the case is over. There is no payment of costs, and that's the end of it. If one of them says no to that, then the case will proceed on to either a, a further negotiation with the insurance company or more likely towards court proceedings, which is what tends to happen okay. at that stage. What happens in the case whereby, the you know, maybe perhaps you're running a pub or a restaurant or a shop or whatever the case is, you probably have a lot of these examples, Peter, mm-hmm. where, you know, I might decide I'm not responsible for whatever happened to you in the doorway coming into our building today um, and I'm the business owner, but the insurance company is dealing with my case and they're telling me, you know, we're better off to settle here and not dispute this. How do you decide who's going to accept, you know, how, how does the, the business owner decide, actually, I, I want to fight this, but the insurance company is saying, no, we're going to settle. Well, essentially, the, the, the problem is, as it stands, that the policyholder has no power in this area and that all the power rests uh, with the lawyers and the insurance company. Uh, so I've had hundreds of examples where uh, policyholders are outraged when they receive a claim because they would regard it as being wholly either fraudulent or exaggerated. Uh, and that's as far as it goes from their point of view because once they hand the case over to the insurer, uh, the insurer disappears with it. And very often it is settled unbeknownst to the policyholder and with no input from the policyholder. And this is why the, the government are trying to put legislation in place now which will control that process. Um, so we are essentially powerless. Now there is legislation in place which means that if you are aware of somebody attempting to uh, pursue a fraud, 
uh, that you're obliged to inform the Gardaí. Uh, but I don't think that has ever been uh, used in the insurance okay. area, unfortunately. Are, but to Declan Jackson, are policyholders sometimes not aware of what's happening with their, 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 their claims or their cases? Yeah, there's so there 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 is um this area is actually very tightly regulated. So if you listen to laissez say it's kind of laissez faire and the insurer comes in maybe on a on a Friday morning and says we'll settle those five, we'll hold those five and we'll fight those five. Well I know but, cases myself actually from, from previous experience where, where business owners have been told you'd be better off could be touch and go whether or not you'd actually win this. You'd be, we think you'd be better off our advice is to, to settle this and we'll pay out in it. Yeah, there, there, there's an essential tenant um, uh, uh, in terms of the whole area of how claims are actually settled. And the, te- the, 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 the one thing that runs through it all is all claim settlements must be fair to all parties. And that's set down in, uh, in regulation. And insurers can be assessed um, in relation to how they conduct themselves. Uh, uh, in relation to that. There will be situations whereby the view of the business owner and the policyholder differs from the view of the insurer. But the insurer must settle the claim as equitably to all parties as they can. And that's their decision to take. I think Peter does have um, does have a number of issues in relation to notifications prior to settlement. And I think there there, there are some difficulties there. We don't know kind of comparable systems that actually do that. Um, but uh, to me, that's an issue that can be resolved. And, you know, we're very happy to look at ways of resolving mm. um, uh, the, the, the concerns of Peter. Peter Andrea, if I could there. Just, just give you a, bit yeah, of, a Peter few Bowling, numbers yeah. in context on this. So just to, to roughly about 30,000 personal injury claims are lodged with PIAB every year because they all vast majority of them flow through PIAB. Uh, about 20% of them are settled through PIAB. About six it's of them... Personal injuries. Personal course, injuries yeah. claims, yes. Uh, about 6% are settled through the courts. Uh, only 6%, and often people are surprised by that. Mm. And the balance, about 73%, uh, are settled outside the courts or disappear. Now, there's a couple of key elements to that. Uh, the first is that, that that number is enormous at 30,000. I was that, going to say, the figure that strikes me there is that 30,000 people are putting in claims. Yeah. And that is driven by a system which offers enormous amounts of money for essentially paracetamol injuries. I have, I'll give you one yeah. example of a, a bruised thumb, for example, with no ligament damage uh, and fully recovered in a short period of time. And through PIAB, even before you get to the courts, you can get up to €21,200 uh, for a thumb that is hurt in that way. And it applies right across the body for soft tissue injury. So you've got people driving into court because of the... You can essentially pay for an extension to the house from a minor soft tissue injury, which is fully recovered uh, in a very short period of time. So that's the first part of it. The second part of it then is that 73,000 which are settled outside the courts. We have no information or knowledge about those 73,000. And what we see happening is that the insurers, uh, given, given this... Given this 72%, situ- I think, Peter, is it? Yeah, 73%, yeah. Yeah, sorry, you said 73,000. So, uh, 73%, I beg your pardon. So uh, within that 73%, What's happening is that the insurers are applying essentially 1990s maths where they're settling each case as an individual cost unit uh, and they're making the decisions on it. They very seldom communicate with our members uh, and the first our members hear about it is when their premium shoots up. Um, Essentially all that's doing is adding fuel to the fire. 
So you've got a lot of money that can be won uh, and insurers who settle in our members' views far too easily. Um, because if you settle each case individually and you do it as an economic unit, all you're doing is encouraging more and more people to have a go. Okay, let me ask, bring you back in, uh, Stuart Lully, just from the, the legal uh, representative practitioner's perspective. It's A lot of people would say it's in your guy's interest to push these cases into the courtrooms. Yeah, people do say that. They say that a lot, but it's actually just not true. And I'll tell you why. It, there's a lot of disincentives to do that. If, for instance, you have a uh, an offer, we were talking about earlier, say you get your, your offer from the from the PIAB of, say, for, for sake of argument, €10,000. And let's say you have a look at that and, and you say, well, I think actually that will get more than that in court. Then then there are rules which say... But who decides that? Is that based on precedence from previous... Yeah, I mean, it's experience in reality, yeah. Okay. The, the Book of Quantum, however, is a factor in this. There's a Book of Quantum which sets out uh, the sort of... This is kind of the guidelines. Of... Exactly, the guidelines. But it, most of it is, is done by experience, probably experienced solicitors who would know the sort of, sort of uh, money you would get in court. And also they know the trends in court and they can tell the trends. The trends are important here. I'll come back to that in a minute, but let's answer your question. But the... the if you think you will not um, do better than that in court, then you, won't, you simply won't advise the client to, take, to, to go on for a number of reasons. One, your client's going to be very unhappy if you, if you tell them to turn, turn down an offer and they get less. Mm. Secondly, uh, you actually won't get any legal costs if you get less than the, what the PIAB offered you. So there's no incentive unless you think you can actually get more. Now, there's a number of reasons why there might be more. Firstly, the claim may or the injury may not have settled down fully. And therefore, they may not. It, it may be a situation where it's simply not in a position to, to, to determine whether that's the right amount at this given time. Uh, but even so, uh, it would be a real gamble to go ahead with something if you thought you aren't going to get significantly more in court. For instance, I would never tell any client, do you know what, I think that case is worth one or two thousand more. That would be lunacy. Mm-hmm. You can never tell whether a case is worth one or two thousand more. You can only tell if it's worth a lot more. And that's the only reason you turn them down. But just come back to trends for a second. I think this is important, and I don't think we've really dealt with this. Um, the Court of Appeal in the last three years has taken a very strong view on personal injury damages and has reduced a number of cases, a lot of them. Mm. And they have said, we need to have a really good look at what we're doing about soft tissue injuries here. And they have halved awards on a regular basis. Now, this has fed down to the rest of the courts. And I think it's interesting what Declan says earlier about how they're four years behind in terms of reforms. So I think what you're going to find is you're going to find that the reforms that have been made in damages in the last three or four years are starting to feed into premiums now. Because uh, you, if you go... I, I'm, I'm there every day of the week. Uh, I was down the, the High Court yesterday. I have never seen the High Court so quiet, Ever. In, I'm doing this 25 years. I've never seen it so quiet. And why is that? Good question. I think the reason is is that people are, are settling cases a lot quicker, either through the PIAP or settling it at a much earlier stage. They're not going on to court. This is a fact. I'm the only one of this, in, in this room here who is here every day. I've, n- I've never seen trends like this. It is definitely the, the, the chilling effect, I think, of the, uh, the, the media culture in, in the sense that every time you open up your, your, your website, you'll see a story about some case being, uh, being thrown out of court or somebody, mm. uh, somebody getting uh, you know, uh, a large amount of money. I think people are afraid to bring claims a lot of the time. They certainly don't want to have their names in the paper, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's uh, also the effect that the, the, the Court of Appeal has had on judges on, a, on solicitors, on barristers, everybody is now taking a view 
that uh, running cases into court is not the way yeah, forward. But, and particularly if these are, if some of these are kind of chancy enough cases that people are just pushing the boundaries to see if they can get a couple of extra pounds, surely that has to be a good thing. Well, we we had experienced that last time around where uh, certainly in 2002, 2003, you could see the claims easing off. Um, but essentially what happened was as soon as everybody took their eye off the ball, uh, the foot was applied to the pedal again and it was back to happy days uh, from a point of view of claiming. And uh, so the fact that there's less cases in the High Court at the moment doesn't come anywhere close to reforming uh, the insurance market in Ireland. And it would be of no consolation to our members uh, who are still seeing claims, are still pre- seeing their premiums rocket. Uh, and uh, the fact that there might be a few less cases recently. And I'll just give you a little bit of context on, on, on awards. Uh, essentially, Ireland is virtually unique among nations in terms of the amount of money that we hand out for for very minor awards. So uh, the Personal Injuries Commission uh, showed that Ireland uh, awarded uh, was 4.4 times higher than the UK. Uh, So up to €19,400 through PIAB uh, for a minor soft tissue injury. Higher typically if the case goes to court. That compares to a UK average at the moment of 3,800, which is on its way down because new legislation in the UK will bring it down next year. But if you look at the, the UK is actually an outlier. Uh, so you're talking almost 20,000 in Ireland. Uh, 2,315 it's capped out in Canada. For example, in Germany, up to 1,125 euros. Okay, so there's massive, massive disparities there. I'm going to come mm. back to those in just a moment because we do just have to take a very short break. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more on this in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to the final part of today's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. We're discussing the insurance sector here in Ireland. Our panel is still with us, Peter Boyland, the Director of the Alliance for Insurance Reform, Declan Jackson, Director of Government Affairs at Insurance Ireland and Solicitor and former President of the Law Society, Stuart Galuli. And my thanks to you all for staying with us today. Declan, can I come to you? They're pretty you know, vast disparities that uh, Peter just outlined for us there before the last ad break about the the difference between the awards here in Ireland for your soft tissue injury versus the UK and also Canada. Why is it better to have a soft tissue injury here than it is there? Again, I suppose I'm going to give you the boring answer, but I think it is because our claim system hasn't been reformed for 15 years. And that has led to um, uh, has led to the inflation that we've seen in the system, and I think you know the, people are frustrated with insurance. They're frustrated with claims. They're frustrated with premiums. At the best of times, it's a grudge purchase, and and you know I'm sure my members' marketing people will shed a little tear when I say that. But it is you know no one no one wakes up in the morning and says great i'm going to pay my car insurance mm. it's not it's not it's not a happy purchase but it's not until you need it it's not until you need someone there to meet the promise that's when you actually get the value of of what you're doing but i just want to come back and maybe if i can just talk about trends in the claims environment now um uh, um if I can get you to briefly, just because there's two areas I want to sure. touch on before we yeah, wrap. Yeah, very quickly. And I actually just want to separate out maybe what insurance companies are seeing and what the state is seeing. So the state, by and large, self-insures uh, a lot of the time. And if you look at Irish local authorities, so the county councils that you were talking about all around the country, in 2012, they had 4,500 new claims. 2012, for that year. Bear in mind, we say... Three, so four, this is five, people six. tripping yeah. on the footpath yeah. and this kind of and, stuff. And, you know, a lot of probably legitimate accidents. Mm. In 2016, 
they had 5,500 new claims. 20% rise. 20% rise. The State Claims Agency, which underwrites the state's liability as well, in 2012, they had 1,300 claims, about 100 grand average to settle. In 2016, they had 1,840 claims. Average settlement, 250,000. Now, I accept and I actually empathise that people see us as a big lobby and, you know, they ignore the data that we produce and they ignore that we've been working on this for five or six years and they ignore all that sort of, and they have an a la carte um, uh, uh, approach to how um, and what we say. But you can't argue. That okay. has nothing. That is not our data. Okay, there's, and that's there's loads publicly of stats, available. I suppose, that, that we have out yeah. today. I want to just ask you both very briefly because we have about four minutes before we finish up. Fraudulent claims. This is a huge issue. And solicitors themselves, Stuart, will tell you that they don't want to see fraudulent claims in the courts. How do we address them? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's one thing we're all agreed on, I can tell you, is that nobody wants to see fraudulent claims. They are the absolute scourge of my profession and the more importantly, they are the scourge of the genuine claimant who would form the vast majority of claimants. They need to be prosecuted. They need, the guards need to get, the, get their act together and actually start prosecuting people who are fraudulently claiming. That will stop okay. it happening. Peter Boland, what's your view on that? Okay, um, I have friends at this stage who are closing their businesses because of this crisis. Um, and last time around, it took two years to get everything sorted. It was quite complex at the time and it still got done. We're nowhere near solving it this time around because of the amount of foot dragging that's been done. Garda Insurance Fraud Unit is two years in the offing and mm. still hasn't happened. It needs to happen immediately. Uh, there need to be additional obligations on lawyers in terms of their duty of candour and inquiry on cases. You're already seeing your regulations coming in in the whole area of asylum. It needs to be put in place in terms of personal injury. The book of quantum absolutely must be recalibrated as a matter of extreme urgency at this stage because that is what is driving this whole crisis this time around. Uh, we need a protocol in place so, so that insurers will keep their policyholders briefed when claims are made against them and that they have some input into it. And finally, uh, there was a key information report on EL and PL, public liability insurance, due from the insurers last year. Still hasn't come in and we need that in place right now. Can I just briefly on that point, Declan, um, how how do you as the insurer deal with the fraudsters? Yeah, so the first thing to say in relation to, to, to insurance fraud is that it's a crime. And anyone who's involved in it is committing not a civil offence, a criminal offence. And we need to be very, very clear in relation to that. I actually, um, uh, probably makes for, for, for bad radio, but I actually agree with with, with um, everything that's been said here. It's okay, we can agree it. from time to time. Too. I know, I know, but there's no crack in that. <laughs> but um, in relation to the Insurance Fraud Bureau, we were asked as a sector to... Um, to look at how that would operate. And we actually went and we talked to the City of London Police and we looked at how that operated. And uh, we said we had to do a cost-benefit analysis because you're talking about a number of millions a year. And we were willing to put those resources in. Um, Government have made a decision that actually they're not comfortable with um, a a model that works really Mm. effectively in in a comparable jurisdiction. Um, and and the Garda Commissioner has said that. And I think we have to accept that. But for us, the next question is, that's fine. If you don't want that funding mechanism, we devoted a number of years to, 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 to doing all that, but that's fine. What are you going to do? And that's the piece that we're missing. I think the Garda want this as well. Yeah. Um, because if you look at it, 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 
if you can if you can successfully get an insurance fraud claim away, it's actually worth your while. Um, it, it it because our award levels are so high, the income is tax free, um, and it 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 in essence, it doesn't take a lot of effort. Okay. So if there there the the incentive is the cost actually for it. So if you address the cost, but also you need to resource the Garthi, and what you need is you need probably about thirty to forty Garthi, both in Dublin but also in the regions who do nothing day in, day out, but prosecute this and look for the patterns. And a key thing is we have a difficulty, I think, as a sector sharing information about trends in terms of, 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 of fraudulent cases. But the Gardaí don't have that difficulty. They have crucially investigative powers. We don't want them. Uh, we have enough on our plate. I don't want investigative powers. But that That's allows interrogate okay. phone records, GPS, yeah, all that sort all of, that of stuff. Kind of thing. It's been a really insightful conversation, folks. Um, and my thanks to you all for, for joining us today on it. If you have any issues or queries or anything you'd like to raise with us, you can always contact us on Twitter or on by email at uh, between the lines at newstalk.com. That's all we have time for. My thanks to the panel, Stuart Kalooly, Peter Boland and Declan Jackson. Um, if you've missed any of the programme, you can download the podcast on newstalk.com or search for Newstalks Between the Lines on iTunes or any other podcast player. My thanks to the production team, Elaine Power and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with breakfast briefing from Monday on six, uh, from six a.m. and also up between the lines next Saturday evening at eight. But uh, for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a great day. Between the lines on News Talk.